We've decided that from now on, every episode of Triple Click will be in early access. And if you don't like it, uh, we'll fix it later. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today, we are talking about video game redemption stories. What's it like when a game launches in bad shape and then kind of gets fixed over time? I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. And we are back for another episode. We sure are back. (laughs) Hello, my friends. It's nice to see both of you. It is great to be here. And uh, if you like Triple Click, if you like supporting the three of us and helping uh, Kirky burritos, (laughs) helping me get my burritos, please uh, become a member, a MaxFun member. If you subscribe to the show, you will help us stay independent and keep making this show. To do that, you go to MaximumFun.org slash join. If you do so, you get monthly bonus episodes from us from the three of us including mm-hmm. other uh, all sorts of things we do beans casts where we spoil things um soon we're going to be introducing some new types of segments as well so it won't just be beans cast every month uh so yeah subscribe and you'll get some access to that that's sweet stuff that's sweet yeah. sweet shit you sure will. um and i think that's about it for up top stuff so let's get to the episode shall yes. we do it i hear there's a topic that we're going to be talking about <laughs> There is a topic. And it's not just any topic. It's it's of a certain temperature, right, Jason? It mm. is a hot topic. A hot topic. <laughs> it is a hot topic. Since Spicy. since by the way, we should say that since we, here. we're fanning since ourselves. We, no one can see this, but we're fanning ourselves. Um okay, so this week our hot topic on this week's episode of Triple Click is video game redemption stories. And so Last month, as many of you know, the video game Cyberpunk 2077 came Never heard out. of it. What is that? And, We've never talked uh, about it on the show before. So This game had a really rocky launch. By the way, it's hilarious that we think of this game as like one of the flops of the year. When it came out, it had like a 90 on Metacritic. <laughs> and it sold but, um, absurd numbers and made 13 million copies. And- yeah, I do see people talk about, oh, it was such a failure. And it's like, mm, I mean, it's a little more complicated yeah. than that. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that if you look at like CD Projekt Red's shares tanked like they wiped out I know this because I work for Bloomberg but and we ran a bunch of stories about it like they had all these gains throughout 2020 where like the stock shot up like 30 40 percent it all got wiped out the the week after like cyberpunk launch has that recovered at all or how does that that stuff always like how does that work when a company's stock price drops I always see those headlines and I never know how much um (laughs) stock to put in them (laughs) (laughs) um well, it literally means that people are selling, like buying and selling, and that's what makes the price move mm-hmm. is like what they're being traded at. Um, and it's all ridiculous capitalism alchemy. But <clears throat> but investors <laughs> got spooked because of the reception. And I think a large part of this with CD Projekt is that because they release games so rarely, this game really needed to be like a mega mm-hmm. hit and needed to be. That's why even when it got a 90 on Metacrit, critic investors were scared and shares were going down because like this was supposed to be a 95 it was supposed to be the game of forever Mm -hmm. um because right they released the witcher 3 five years ago gwent came out between now and then but like that was a nothing that was like a another flop i guess you so you can kind of count that as a flop so yeah stakes were really high for this one but we're not talking about cyberpunk what we're talking about is what comes next because the big question is that at this point is can cyberpunk be a redemption story can this be a game that is fixed and improved 
improved through patches and updates and expansions and whatever else the developers have in store for Cyberpunk. And we thought it would be interesting and fun to look back at modern video game history and kind of talk about some of the other video game redemption stories over the over the past few years. And I say modern because I don't really think this happened in the pre-internet era of video games. I don't right. know if there were any NES games getting patches uh, <laughs> getting, <Yeah>. getting reissued. <laughs> there were what 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 happened with computer games and Kirk you you must have seen this back in back in the 90s was that they would release like new versions of the disc or the CD-ROM mm-hmm. and like you can wind up with like different versions of the game and like people would do collectors editions or, or like collectors would look for early Un, like unpatched quote-unquote versions of certain games mm-hmm. yeah you would see that like monkey island would have had a bunch of different versions and later it was on cd-rom and had voice acting but that's pretty different than what we're talking about so not really germane to the, to the right topic. well but sometimes it would be to fix bugs or like fix like game oh, yeah, breaking problems absolutely. sure um but yeah but very different than like what's happened recently which is past let's say six seven years where we've seen games come out and then launch with a lot of problems and then kind of be fixed in some way or another so first let's let's kind of broadly look at at the precedent of this and i think the the kind of or example in recent years is no man's sky maddie you want to talk a little bit about like the no man's sky story and what happened Mm -hmm. there sure so i think the no man's sky story (laughs) is mostly about promises made in trailers or at least that's how people describe it and marketing materials and the, yeah, the few interviews lead up to the game i remember seeing a stephen colbert episode about no mm-hmm. man's sky i don't mm-hmm. know if you guys yep. remember that where well, it was infamous oh, yeah yeah, where a special level had been created, like a planet just for Stephen Colbert with like certain sound effects that were themed around his show. And the promise being made by that was this idea that every planet would be unique and different and you could do anything. And it was also all procedurally generated. It wasn't actually like this special Colbert level that was being presented. Like if anything, that should have been a warning sign, I think, that like hmm. this wasn't exactly going to work the way that it sounded as though mm-hmm. it would. And at launch, hmm, I, I feel like Kirk is probably the better person to talk about what this game was like at yeah. launch. I did not buy it because I heard. Well, the game, we should talk about the announcement. The announcement trailer was what really blew people away. So that was at the VGAs at the Game Awards in 2013. And mm-hmm. Jeff Keighley was like, I got something special to show you. And it was like this this, this mind-boggling like space trailer that was like showing all these planets and dinosaurs and big worms and oh, yeah, a lot dinosaurs. of things that didn't actually make it into the game like a lot of creatures and vistas Mm -hmm. that look nothing like the final game when it came out three years later yep i think um there was one thing so i reviewed this game for kotaku my review is interesting to read now because i reviewed it twice in the same review i was kind of in an experimental phase this was a little bit before i wrote that like narrative destiny 2 review i was feeling (laughs) bored i think with writing game (laughs) reviews so i was like i'm gonna Uh review this twice and it wound up I think being, especially because I remember Steven Totillo, our editor, like mercilessly edited it and made me remove all this stuff. Like I kind of kept coming back and wanting to review it more. And it wound mm. up being, I think, kind of a cool look at the game because I first reviewed the game that I wanted it to be, where like I followed the story and moved through the galaxy and was just like, what the hell? This sucks. Like it was so shallow. There was yeah. like every planet looked the same. I just stopped caring about everything. I just needed enough materials to make the fuel so that I could uh-huh. keep going. And then I got to the There's middle. a lot and of like, grinding. And you get mm-hmm. to the middle and the game just resets. So then the second time I was like, I'm going to meet this game 
on its own terms. I'm not going to travel. I'm going to stay put. And I wound up finding this kind of nice, chill experience because the aesthetics of the game are very pleasing. And if you don't travel too much, you didn't see that the planets all repeated themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I I look at the trajectory of this game where now it has in so many ways become and surpassed the game that it promised that it would be. Specifically, yeah. even though I found this game that I liked among you know in in the midst of this very limited experience compared to what they promised and i think about that trailer you mentioned jason the one thing that that trailer had that the game had was you would be walking on the surface of a planet and you would climb into your starship and then you would fly up and break orbit and be in space and like there would be no pause and it would be seamless and that wasn't the game and i mm-hmm. feel like that's still Kind of a magical thing in No Man's Sky. Mm. And for all the things that they've added, like they did have that core and that kind of helped. It gave them something to build around, maybe. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about what they've added? Like, do you have any sense of like what the what what the biggest things that have been added over the past four or five years have been? I think the biggest thing is easily multiplayer that they've added mm-hmm. real multiplayer. Right. That was right. I, I forgot right. to mention earlier. That was the biggest promise that never came to fruition. And in fact, when the game launched, well, it did eventually come to fruition, but was not. Well, in the yes, launch but at, at launch, even at launch, Sean Murray, the the director of this mm-hmm. game and the kind of the the face, the controversial face of, of it, um, had said before launch there was going to be multiplayer. And even up to the day at launch, even after it launched, he never quite reckoned with that that promise and he never even said like hey actually it's not in the game and so what he had said was that people could encounter each other but the chances were infinitesimal and basically you would have to be in someone else's galaxy and find someone else's planet but the chances were so small blah 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 and then what happened was on launch day two twitch streamers or two people who were playing and started streaming on twitch found out that they were right next to each other and tried to find each other and they couldn't and it was captivating because it was like watching this play out and watching Watching them both standing in this world that they couldn't actually see each other in, it was like this this unfolding of this lie in reality. It was pretty wild. So I think just in terms of the redemption arc, like to, to look at this game in terms of a game that has mm-hmm. clearly redeemed itself, I would say in the eyes of almost everybody. Like there are still people who get salty about some of those initial promises. Understandably, I get it if you feel that way. But it is hard to look at that. Like, They didn't specifically address some of the promises they made, but in practice and in the work they did, they absolutely addressed it and then some. And so Mm -hmm. there's this great goodwill toward Hello Games now because rather than just being like, look, we sold a bunch of copies, whatever we got ours, we're going to move on and do something else. They they didn't. They like they just totally worked and worked and worked for so long and clearly loved this game that they made. And I think that that at least in terms of this example that that thing I was saying, like, there is a core there to this game, even at launch, that was there. It's a whole dream of, like, flying around a solar system. And that was there at the beginning. It was just in this game that was kind of weird and unfinished or mm-hmm. just kind of empty. Mm-hmm. And then they've just filled in around that core. And that, I think, allowed the game to become something that is truly great now. Yeah, and also players have made it great as well. Like players have built so many structures and fan communities and created role-playing rings within No Man's Sky. I mean, obviously all of those processes needed to be there for them to use. That part was on, on Hello Games to create. But players have now made No Man's Sky into a completely different type of world 
than it ever mm-hmm. could have been at launch. And that's a huge part of the success of the game now. And what I associate with the game now is like absurd factions and players yeah, just yeah, role playing yeah. with one another and those kinds of crazy stories about like raves and stuff that people throw in the game, especially in the pandemic. And <laughs> that part of the game, to me, it's it's hard to even think about it in terms of the way that the game launched. Like it doesn't even feel like, I mean, we're literally not talking about the same game. Like people mm-hmm. don't even right. talk about it the same no, way. No, it's a different game. Well, because the stuff you're talking about wasn't in there. So right. at launch, the game was essentially like walk around planets, like trade with aliens and grind for materials. And then after launch, there was an update called foundation, which added base building. Then there was a survival mode added. There were more updates, more updates. And then the big one was in 2018. July 2018 so two years after launch um, called No Man's Sky Next and that was the one that had a multiplayer Mm -hmm. and like a whole bunch of stuff Um, and then they just kept doing it and like the most recent update I think was last September or something kind of recent stuff yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. so they've been sticking with this game for over four years which is something we've seen a lot these days even with games that are big successes like Stardew Valley which just got a recent patch despite Mm -hmm. coming out in, in, in February of 2016 um um, but with this game, because of the initial story, it really feels like a comeback. And just like the stuff that has come out since then has just been universally loved by players. There is there's kind of a connection, I think, between this topic, between the idea of a game slowly becoming better and the framework of games as a service. They're different mm-hmm. things, but they function kind of similarly. And it's it's wild how uh, Stardew Valley feels like a game as a service, even though all the services were free. So it's like just being updated. And the same with No Man's Sky, where that felt like it could have almost been an MMO or a game as a service, but it wasn't. It was just sold as a $60 game and then just mm-hmm. got years and years of free updates, which is very cool. And it it's like a, it's like a cousin or something of the game as a service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think something that I've found just talking to developers of games like this is it's almost like a counterintuitive notion that you can keep updating a game and releasing things for free. And it's like, well, if I'm a developer and I'm not getting paid for this stuff, like, why am I continually doing it? But you wind up selling so many copies right. with a long tail that, like, it winds up paying for itself. So, one of the games that I have talked to the developers uh, a lot about is Enter the Gungeon, the roguelike game where you're, 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 shooting little bullets at people and get a lot of guns. And what those guys told me, I actually wrote about this in my new book, um, what those guys told me was that they made more money and they sold more copies of the game two years after launch with like one of their mm-hmm. post-launch free updates than they did on release. So like that's the type of, we're talking about a totally different business model now than we are even 10 years ago when it was like we make all our sales day one, launch week, with games in the front of Target and then after that it just completely tapers off. Now we're talking about a totally different world. So the maybe the, the best case scenario is we made a whole bunch of money on a game that made people really mad because it wasn't what they wanted. And then uh-huh. we made it really good. And then everyone's happy. And we're still selling lots of copies two years later. Hey, so that, you joke, but like no, that no, is I, I mean, a viable I'm, approach. I, yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone would take it consciously, but I am I am only half kidding. It's going to be so weird if in four years everyone's playing Cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> and it's like a completely different game with like yeah, whatever the equivalent of cyber base well, building it'll have would multiplayer. be. Like, I don't know. That would be really it, strange. I, Maddie, what's funny is that I 
bet you that is exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And I think the real, the problem is that these developers are just not really being honest, right? I should really say the managers, the publishers are not really being honest about these games. Cyberpunk should have been an early access game. Like if they were going to release it in this state, if they're going to release it clearly earlier than before it was actually finished, if they called it early access, like they, this would not really be a problem because people would be buying into it and, and just deal with the bugs and like wait until it was finished and contribute their own thoughts. And really that's a good pivot to another game that, that we wanted to talk about, which is Baldur's Gate 3. Another game that another giant RPG that came out last year, sort of came out last year, came out in early access. Yeah. Well, just the first act of it came out, but those guys, I mean, Larian, it's kind of an interesting parallel. Larian, the developer of the game, also the developer of Divinity Original Sin 2. It's kind of an interesting parallel to CD Projekt in that they're both these RPG developers have gained a lot of goodwill with fans by making these critically acclaimed masterpieces. And I think Larian's approach is super smart and they're just like, hey, we're going to put out part of this game. We know these games are massive and they're going to be full of bugs. So we're going to let you guys like play it and check it out early and we'll send us your feedback and let us know what you think. And it's just very much like a like a crowdsourced form of game development in a lot of ways. I'm curious, do you guys, Maddie, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Do you do you think that the, there's like, I don't know, do what do you think the pros and cons of like the early access approach are? Do you think that it's it's kind of like ruins authorial intent to be like, hey players, tell us what you think. I mean, possibly. I would also say I think it introduces some pretty big problems with labor and the way that we talk about it and the idea of whether or not QA should be paid labor, which I think it should be. And by I I think it's cool that Larian, by putting out Baldur's Gate 3, they didn't do a cyberpunk situation. They were really transparent about exactly what it was. It launched in early access. It's just the first act of the game and they repeatedly said in every marketing thing it's not done the game is not complete there are going to be a lot of problems with the game so if you want to make fun of how the faces look or whatever that's fine game is not finished all of that was super clear however they're basically asking their player base to I guess pay them to do work for them and <laughs> kind of covering that up with the auspices of like you're part of the Larian family. You're like a fan and you're part of this this cool movement we're doing where we all fix Baldur's Gate 3 together and mm-hmm. I don't know, like that it leads it goes down a dark path. You know what I mean? Like it it's it goes to a place that I I don't like. I wouldn't say it's there already, but it's on the path to a place that I don't like that much. I don't know. I think if people are having fun and they're okay playing an early access game, that it can be a fun way of, it, yeah, you know, getting a new perspective on a game. And I think I think if people were like not having fun and being exploited, I just don't get that sense. Especially given that I think that Larium does have QA and most studios do, and you know that that is paid work. But when you look at the QA required to ship, uh, say, Red Dead Redemption Two at the absurd levels of polish with a game that complex, I mean, it turns into this totally unbelievable amount of work that a huge group of people just have to be put through the meat grinder on. I don't know, releasing a game a couple of years in early access and saying, hey, if you want to play this now, go for it. We're going to be slowly fixing it. You can help us out if you want, or you can just screw around with the early access version and not. That seems like maybe in some ways a more humane approach Mm -hmm. than just having a massive army of QA people that just throw their bodies at it every day for years to make it perfect at launch. Yeah. Also, it's worth noting that like the the players, I mean, first of all, the important distinction between a QA tester and a player of this game is like a player of this game has no obligations. Like they can just play as long as they want and stick with it or not stick with it. But I think that, that like 
even with games that don't do this, uh, Q, plenty of QA testers are like going on YouTube and looking for glitch videos after a game launches <laughs> and being like, sure. hey, wow, look at this. Because there's no possible way that even an army of hundreds of QA testers could find every possible bug or every possible permutation that could cause a problem in a game. Especially in a Larian um, game. Those games are like... Yeah, especially in like an huge, RPG, yeah. a systemic RPG where you can do anything. But it does raise interesting questions, I will say, about like, like if uh, should players if players are giving this feedback that leads to a change in a game and if someone comes up with this idea that like leads to something cool in a game should that person be getting paid mm-hmm. for it like right. that that to me asks it definitely raises some interesting questions that i don't really think we have the answers to but then the flip side of that is like we look at a game a lot of the appeal of video games is just like the personal the author the the, the kind of the the stories you can create yourself or tell yourself in a game and like um look at minecraft for example like Minecraft's appeal, one of the biggest reasons Minecraft became so successful is because every day on the internet for like two years, all you would see was like, look at what this guy built in Minecraft. Look what this person mm-hmm. did in Minecraft. And that is also like those people creating value for Notch for the creators of Minecraft without getting paid for it. So really, yeah. there's a lot of like murky territory in video games as a whole when it comes to Well, unless they're running a YouTube channel, making mm-hmm. Minecraft stuff and getting rich right. off That's of it, true. which plenty of people also right. did. So, you know. Also true. Yep. Also true. Um, there's one thing that there there are a couple of games that we have to talk about when we have this conversation yes the one that is most relevant to the three of us is of course destiny which Mm -hmm. is another (laughs) one of those or examples of a game that launched in iraqi state and was gradually improved over time um often what happens with these games is like they'll get incremental patches and fixes and tweaks and changes but like there will be one big uh, kind of expansion or DLC or whatever it is that really like takes things to a new level and we've almost it's become lingo the, the the Destiny's first big expansion the Taken King has become lingo for like like mm-hmm. uh, an improvement and I remember at Kotaku for years we would talk about like oh is this game gonna get its Taken King like its <laughs> version of the Taken King where it's improved in some way is Anthem gonna get its Taken King or whatever right. else it was um, and yeah Kirk you want to talk a little bit about like you also reviewed destiny one so what what was it like watching that game uh uh improve and just become turned from like an infuriating game to a good game (laughs) it was weird it's like looking back on a drug addiction or something um (laughs) uh, it's kind of all hazy yeah i reviewed destiny and then i reviewed the taken king and then i reviewed destiny 2 and that's an interesting arc too though maybe not quite as related to this topic, just the the whole idea of sort of going backwards in some ways for Destiny 2. But yeah, so when Destiny launched, it was, you know, it actually kind of underlines the thing I was saying with No Man's Sky. It was another game where the core thing was really there, but there wasn't a whole lot else. And so it was kind of the same thing where like, it was fun as hell to run around shooting aliens in this game. And the world and the lore were cool. Like they were... um, you know, they they were they drew people in. Like the art style was really beautiful. It had something to it. Like it had a sort of a majesty. But then you played, you know, for twenty hours or something. And it was like, oh my god! Like we're all just standing in front of a cave <laughs> shooting these aliens because that's the best way to get loot. And wow, there's a lot of problems with this loot system. And actually, this game's really repetitive. And there's only a few things to do. Um, and so by the fall, that game had really entered this funk. When the uh, what's it called the uh, the Underlord, the Crota, what was the name of that 
that expansion. Crota's wow. End. Crota's end. 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 I forgot the name of a Destiny expansion on Triple Click. Well, so that was in December. That was December of 2014. Yes. Yeah. So that was the December after it launched, very shortly afterward. By the way, I should say, I just want to backtrack on what I said before yeah. when Taken King has become shorthand. Actually, Diablo 3's Reaper of Souls was better shorthand for that before Taken King. And then Taken King actually took a lot of inspiration from Reaper of Souls. At, and at Kotaku, a lot of us, more we played Destiny. We so played we a lot more Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah. So you were saying, yeah. So Crota's End came out of December. December of 2014. Yeah, Crota's End was sort of the first expansion, and that there was this sense there that it was like, oh, well, maybe this first expansion is going to be the thing that'll fix X, Y, and Z, and it didn't. It was just sort of a really little thing that they threw on, and there was a new raid, but it wasn't as good as the first one, and it was kind of like, oh, mm, maybe this game's in trouble. It was also developed in, like, eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it showed. And throughout the winter, it was just very like, ugh, like, I don't want to play this anymore. Then they started improving things with House of Wolves, which was sort of like the beginning of the crescendo, and then Taken King was, like, fortissimo. And so it was this big build into fall, and, like, that expansion was just totally killer. Now, Taking King introduced, kind of introduced Destiny as it is now. Like, it mm-hmm. kind of, it just like made it into more of a Marvel movie where there's like, you know, the the Vanguard or all these outsized personalities. There's banter happening on your radio. Nathan Fillion took on a really big role in that one. And that was also where they recast Peter Dinklage as Ghost mm-hmm. and they re- or they recast Nolan North and decast uh, Peter <laughs> Dinklage mm-hmm, as Ghost. Mm-hmm. So they got kind of like a peppier voice actor in there. The whole thing became a lot peppier. It was like a much more exciting game. And they just, they found a lot of things that they've, I'd say now over become overly reliant on. Just like a lot of the good ideas that they've explored in a lot of different ways to the point where I would say now the game feels very locked in a comfort zone and there may not ever be another thing in Destiny that that really shakes things up the way The Taken King, which is fine because Destiny is fun and it has a lot of stuff in it. But The Taken King kind of established what Destiny would be. And then just really briefly, like I said, Destiny 2 was kind of a weird step backward. And then I would say they got it back up and a little beyond where it was at, at Taken King. So that was kind of beyond, that narrative. Beyond light, you're saying? Yeah. Be- they, t- they took it beyond <laughs> light, is what I'm saying. Finally. And a, yep. all paid expansions in this case. So a little bit of a different story there. Right. right. Yeah, expensive. that's an interesting one. Very expensive hobby. Well, that was very much, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can't. It's when you're part of Activision, when you're a game published by Activision, can't can't release anything for free. No, no. Bobby would not approve. <laughs> I mean, they're not anymore and you still have to pay for beyond light. Like, they're still making mm-hmm. money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, now it's it's a different model because you have to do like the season pass and you're basically mm-hmm. subscribing for that game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that's a different world because unlike No Man's Sky, unlike Cyberpunk, I mean, Destiny is entirely online. And so you they have to pay for servers and constantly be maintaining the game and keeping people operating it. And I mean, Bungie, believe it or not, has more staff than CD Projekt Red. Like Bungie has more, has more people than CD Projekt Red does. That's and, believable. Based on you the know, games. <laughs> one game that this makes me think of that isn't really an example of this phenomenon, but is a game that launched kind of inauspiciously and has become a favorite is Warframe and has mm-hmm. a entirely, it's a lot like Destiny in some ways, but has the opposite free model where you just can play it however you want and then you pay for stuff. And it seems to me, is that Digital Extremes, is that developer of that game? Mm-hmm. Yep. They seem like they're doing great. And like that game seems like it's doing great. Every time I see like a Kotaku or Polygon article about Warframe, I'm like, 
shit this was yeah. awesome <laughs> like it's one uh, of our so, blind yeah. spots yeah I yeah think yeah as a, as a show that's one one game we haven't or you you gave it a chance right you i played a little it? bit but it was it's a clearly a, a big investment that game yeah uh, well a lot of these are just like the games as a service you have to like really pick one and commit to it and it mm-hmm. really has to it like replaces your gaming time for other stuff and mm-hmm. people like us who want to be playing or have to be playing constantly different things it's tough to stick with a game like that yeah yeah Unless yeah. it's Destiny, and then we all just we find a way. And then you just make your weekly podcast about Destiny every single week <laughs> right, for exactly, weeks and right, weeks. Exactly. weeks. That happens and from time like, to time. Yeah, it does happen. <laughs> but you're one more thing every single week. Yeah, yeah. Destiny. Because hey, I here are my adventures in Destiny. Who, who can say if anyone here has done that? Um, we have to talk about Final Fantasy 14, by the way, yeah. which I know neither of you have really gotten into. Yeah, but and still, I'm, it's I'm fine. More into Go ahead. It. But still, there's no story like this because Final Fantasy 14. I'm like so so. What happened with all these other games is people kept playing them even while they were getting fixed. With No Man's Sky, it took a few months, even a couple of years, for like the patches to really start coming, the updates to still start coming. But you could still go and buy the game, and you could still play it as much as you wanted. Um, Final Fantasy XIV, so when that first launched in 2013, um, the original version of that game, which is now called like 1.0, um, was such a disaster that Square Enix, the developer and publisher of the game, said, you know what? fuck it we're pulling out we're hitting the reset button we're like smashing that the glass that says break in case of emergency <laughs> there is one of those in square enix hq mm-hmm. i think they have like exactly glass. <laughs> stop the server they took the game down they took the game down and then they relaunched it like a year and a half later as a realm reborn final fantasy 2 14 2.0 a realm reborn under naoki yoshida who's now considered like one of the the gods legend, at square yeah. enix uh, mm. a legendary figure and it's pretty legendary feat yeah he's well he's he's a he's a nice dude also i've met him a few times and um and this game like blew people away. It was awesome. It, like they totally revamped it. Um, one of the interesting things they do normally when we talk about these games, we talk about like them getting graphical upgrades or polishes. But like with Final Fantasy fourteen, one of the original game's problems was that they tried too hard to push the production values, so they actually like like made it look less good, which I think is pretty important for an MMO, which you need to run on like as many possible computers as possible, as World of Warcraft has shown us. But like yeah, that game has just gotten so good over time and they've done so many cool things with the expansions i haven't gotten up to the most recent expansion shadowbringers yet um as much as i would like to i just haven't haven't been able to yet too many hours required but yeah. people say it's like one of the best final fantasy stories ever not just like one of the best mmo stories but like one of the best final fantasy stories and i've already seen all sorts of good stuff with like the final fantasy 14 heaven's ward and the main story and mm-hmm. it's it's become a pretty pretty good game um and it's it's been remarkable to see how it's evolved and how it's transformed and but that's another one where like people are paying a monthly subscription so they can kind right. of justify like continually updating and adding new expansions and just making new shit all the time do you think that'll ever happen again like <laughs> a game like that being literally pulled off offline and then totally overhauled and no more subscriptions presumably well, when they did cyberpunk that. was pulled off the playstation so that doesn't yeah count. they didn't no i know yeah no i don't know i mean i kind of expected it to happen with anthem um but it didn't mm-hmm. and anthem with anthem i mean the bioware and ea have promised anthem 2.0 or anthem next as people call it internally right. but it just hasn't materialized yet two mm-hmm. years later um so still waiting on that one but mm-hmm. um but yeah, I don't know, Kirk. That's a good question. Uh, will it happen again? Like the like Anthem just doesn't have 
the Final Fantasy thing. Like the fact that right. like, people are going to come back for a Final Fantasy game if you take it offline and re-release mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. with Anthem, it's just kind of like, oh, I don't know, the thing with the like people in the mech suits. Like, right. oh, they made another one of those. Okay, is it good? Like, it, it just wouldn't. It wouldn't really have that same. That same juice. Well, so Kirk, to that point, I think I think about what you said earlier about like the game, these games having some sort of core, some sort of like fundamental, like yeah. this works. And I think with with Final Fantasy fourteen, um, that almost is the brand. Like people are so the music, yeah, which is kind of the brand. I mean, it's the music, it's a little yeah, the music, but the, but the brand kind of related. Think of it yeah, as the brand. And one of the reasons, mm-hmm. yeah, the world. The, or the, I just think thinking like Final Fantasy is oh, Final Fantasy is always going to bring people in. Yeah, like me, I'll I'll be there for anything called Final <laughs> like Fantasy. for example Jason Schreier <laughs> yeah well so like and and I actually think one of the reasons that Final Fantasy 14 like in its current iteration is so popular is it's it's become this theme park of Final Fantasy stuff like you'll mm-hmm. be playing and you'll see like some of the bosses in the game are like straight out of pre old games like meant to tickle your nostalgia there's an entire golden saucer in the game from Final Fantasy 7 there's mm-hmm. like you can play triple triad the card game from Final Fantasy 8 it's just like this giant theme park of old Final Fantasy stuff and I think that's what the core was because it's not like Right. Like the combat is special or like any of the gameplay or anything like that, but it had Final Fantasy. Anthem, on the other hand, does that have anything? It's got I don't those know suits. That it does. It's got those suits. I wonder if um, Marvel's Avengers could have a redemption mm. arc yeah, because that, that was... at least has the Avengers IP, which I know is already oversaturated in and of itself. But I feel like that's an example of a game that I had some good ideas for combat, but the uh, service game aspect of it was not good and not fulfilling and when we streamed it together the multiplayer did not fully work so that game from what i understand almost no one's playing it anymore so i it would be a really rocky redemption arc for that game but i have been kind of curious if that one is gonna have a second coming that's a really good point that's a good question so I think the problem that Marvel's Avengers has to deal with is apathy. And none of these other games generated apathy. They almost all of them generated like extreme like like mm. rage and mm. anger at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Avengers didn't. Like nobody really cared that the Avengers right. was yeah, it like kind of it kind of didn't come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know it came I mean? in yeah. which is weird. Yeah. It was really weird. Like you look at like game of the year time or like yeah. looking back at 2020 time, nobody even talked about it. It was yeah. really no. strange. Here's this AAA game based on the biggest movie series in the big movie movie biggest movie franchise in the world and nobody seemed to really care that much. Like like we all played it and enjoyed playing through the single player stuff yeah. and then it was just like okay, like that was fine. It's over now. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, sad. That's like a sadder fate than the cyberpunk story, which is like yeah. cyberpunk is always going to get headlines. When it comes right. back and when it gets patched, it's going to generate headlines. Marvel's Avengers might generate headlines, but will anybody talk about them? Will anyone mm-hmm. know? Will anybody click on them? I don't, if right. a, if, I don't know. If a headline never gets clicked, is it? does it actually exist? <laughs> <laughs> is the story really there? It does, but uh, editorial teams uh, slowly deprioritize coverage. I can say that much. <laughs> that is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's another interesting one. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, Kirk, to your question earlier, I can't, it's hard to imagine. It was so unprecedented and then, and it's so unprecedented now that they actually removed the game and stopped running the servers for a year and a half. 
um, they actually made it part of the story. Like in in yeah, the new yeah, yeah. in A Realm Reborn, they all reference like the great calamity, and that was actually like <laughs> the first game coming to an end. And like they made a whole event out of it coming to an end where the world was destroyed. So like there aren't a lot of other types of games you could do that with. It almost it mm. has to be an MMO if you're gonna like make it be this whole spectacle. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I can't see it really happening again. So I know we're almost out of time, but I do. I want to talk a little bit about Diablo three. Can we talk a little about Diablo three? Yeah, Just because of course, I, yeah. I, you like wrote the book about Diablo three, so like we should at least <laughs> talk about. it We a should at least bit. mention that it existed. Yeah, yeah. So Diablo three, when that came out, um, well, it kind of had a really rocky launch. So, I, so Diablo three was ten years, and the people were waiting for it ten years, waiting for it for ten years. It came out ten years after the launch of of Diablo two and its expansion, mm-hmm. um, and it had. The game, putting aside the game itself, it had such a rocky. Well, man, oh God, do you guys remember when people were, when there were controversies over games being online only? Yeah, like that was yeah. the big controversy it in was. Diablo Three that it was online it was. only. Um, and then it came out, and I remember Kirk, you wrote articles about how yeah, it sucks that this game is online only because it came out and it wasn't working at first, and people can actually play it. You got error thirty seven every time you tried to play it. Oh, I yeah, I remember that was like peak. Kirk as a Kotaku like hungry Kotaku staff writer because I wrote like uh-huh. a billion articles um, about that though I wrote an article that was like it sucks that this game is always online and then later I was like but here's the argument for it always being online and then later <laughs> like random chose on Twitter would like show me screen caps of those two headlines and be like look at you man like you're arguing it's bad and it's good <laughs> and I was like yeah because like that's <laughs> that an interesting thing to do yeah, <laughs> anyway anyways not to get sidetracked but yes yeah well this was very much the time of like consumer rights being threatened and this was like the time of like I say that facetiously um, <laughs> this is the time of like EA season passes and fighting against used mm-hmm. games and DRM and that was the whole big controversy of the early 2010s was like the question of like do you have the right to play a game and own a game and own the digital license to a game and play a game offline and <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore because now all games are pretty much online only though yeah. that was i mean the narrative on diablo with that error 37 thing like you couldn't have asked for a more perfect narrative that people were mm-hmm. upset about the online thing it was a new thing even though it's become more normal now and then when the game launched people straight up couldn't play it for days because mm-hmm. of the internet, because the servers weren't working. Like, yep. that, like, it was just, like, ready-made. You, It was, like, you couldn't have written it more perfectly. No, it was a perfect story. But now it's so normal for a game to launch and not work. Like, if exactly. anything, like everyone that's expects what we've it. accepted. It's not like, oh, now all games yep. launch and they immediately work and everyone's perfectly prepared with a ton of servers. It's like, no, we just expect that a big online game of any kind right. is going to launch and suck ass for the first week because that's just our reality now and that's fine i guess <laughs> and and there was some like there were some people saying that even at the time oh i remember when you know everquest or whatever sure, launched, yeah you should but all there were ready. only a few examples of that right. and now and, it's like mm-hmm. normal <laughs> exactly diablo like um, really made raised awareness of that thing and now everyone's like oh yeah well the first week's gonna be a shit show <laughs> like of course yeah and then a few months later sim city happened and that was kind of another oh, right. disaster oh, right. um <laughs> There's an example, by the way, of a game. I don't even know. It like got patched over time, and then some people like stuck with it and liked it. But then, yeah. like, I don't know. But but Diablo three. So it's worth noting that like, despite the online controversy, once things once that once that settled down and people started playing it, first it started getting a lot of critical acclaim. It was almost like cyberpunk, and then players started saying, "Wait a minute! Like this kind of sucks in a lot right. of ways." There were a lot of difficulty, like imbalance issues, and there was too much randomness. The in end it, game and, just sort of sucked. I think for 
for her. Yeah, the end game really yeah. sucked. Like the difficulty was all skewed. Um, it felt like they were the the entire development period. I think they were kind of torn between like, do we want to make something new or recreate Diablo two and like what worked on Diablo two? And that's always a really tough question when you're making a successor to like one of the most popular games ever, yeah. one of the most beloved games in PC PC history. Um, and then. Uh, a guy named Josh Mascara, who was brought on to do the multi, uh, do the console the versions console version, of Diablo yeah. Three, wound up becoming director of Reaper of Souls, the first expansion, and wound up helming this effort to just like change the game in a lot of ways that wound up being really positive and wound up changing the difficulty system and adding all these new controversial features like rolling in the console mode or like uh, 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 I mean even the fact that there was a console version in the first place man yeah. so the, and the console version of Diablo 3 rules rolling yep. in the console version of Diablo 3 rules playing yep. as a demon hunter with like a with twin sticks super fun yeah that that I that game really became a game that I really like <laughs> like mm-hmm. I didn't love it when it first came out it was just sort of like okay I'm just clicking stuff watching my life Pass before mm-hmm. my eyes, but like somehow watching my life pass before my eyes while I'm like playing with the controller on my Switch, fine, totally fine with that. <laughs> um, can I tell you guys a quick funny story? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went to Blizzard in 2016, uh, I, and I was working on Blood, Sweat, and Pixels to interview a bunch of people about Diablo, uh, Diablo three, um, they brought in a guy, um, as part of like our interview gauntlet, it was like back, back to back interviews. And they brought in this one guy, they brought him in in Paris. So they brought in this one guy and then another guy. And the other guy I knew was a veteran who had worked on Diablo three for years and years. But the, the one guy I looked him up on LinkedIn, I won't say his name in case it's embarrassing, but I looked him up on LinkedIn and it said that he had just started like a year before so I was like oh this is kind of irrelevant to me this is years after Diablo 3 came out like why I don't really need to talk to him so I spent most of the interview talking to the other guy um, and then the first guy I'll call him Joe um, <laughs> Joe uh, he talked a little bit but I mostly ignored him and then afterwards I think it was like months later or maybe even a year later I was doing some more research and I found out that Joe who had kind of an unusual name not a common name there was another guy of the same exact name at Blizzard oh. who had started <laughs> recently oh, this no. guy had actually been a veteran and like i could have been asking him all sorts of interesting things but i didn't because i did i thought he was the other guy so there were two guys with the same name at blizzard that's <laughs> and, funny it's just like blizzard is that um, yeah it's so funny there. and it's like man too the the lesson here is if when you're going to interview people do more research than just looking up their name <laughs> just on looking LinkedIn. up their name just in case somebody else with the identical and name. like assuming that's the case just in case there are just two people case. with the same name in that company have you so. ever emailed him and been like hey I'm really sorry yes I, I, I met him I saw him afterwards I met him afterwards at a Blizzard press event and I was like hey I don't know if you remember I don't think he even remembered because it's not like right, I was right. ignoring him or anything right, I just right. was addressing more of my questions to the other guy but he was like still in the room and like um, but yeah it was pretty funny alright um, on that nice. note <laughs> that's my redemption story, my <laughs> redemption story. Um, yeah I mean to to kind of tie it all up and wrap things up I think with cyberpunk I think we will wind up seeing like if, if this if we I had to make a prediction I think we wind up seeing right. yeah like or in a year <laughs> I, in a few months by like the summer I think we'll see headlines that are like we'll hey see. cyberpunk has gotten a lot better and improved because really that's like what they needed what I've heard from talking to a lot of people who worked on that game they needed more time, and now they're going to have more time. The problem is the game already launched, and they made a bad first impression, but like, still, they have time. I wonder, mm-hmm. yeah. It'll be, and it'll kind of be whether they can engineer in the thing, the core thing, which the game mm-hmm. doesn't quite feel like that core thing is locked in, but it could mm. be there. 
if they manage to do it, it'll be very interesting yes. to see if they can. It will be very mm-hmm. interesting. Something worth noting that we haven't really talked about is that like oftentimes in game development, the developers of a game don't really know what a game is until very late in the process. And with a game like Cyberpunk, it's very easy to imagine people saying, hey, is this Deus Ex or is it GTA? Or like, what's the combination? What's the what's the right balance here? And then actually being able to play it and see it and see the final product can maybe help crystallize things in your mind in a way that you couldn't really see when you were just playing unfinished builds or like your pieces of a game or something mm-hmm. like that so mm-hmm. that's why this happens so often <laughs> yeah yeah um all right why don't we take a break and then we'll be back with one more thing one two one two three Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. We're both doctors and... Nope, just me. Okay, well, Sydney's a doctor and I'm a medical enthusiast and we create Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Every week I dig through the annals of medical history to bring you the wildest, grossest, sometimes dumbest tales of ways we've tried to treat people throughout history. And lately we do a lot of modern fake medicine because everything's a disaster, but it's slightly less of a disaster every Friday. Right here on MaximumFun.org as we bring you Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. And remember, don't drill a hole in your head. Hey, I'm Janet Farney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery? Class of 95, we did it! Or a time of angst disappointment, and confusion. We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess. The truth is, it was both. So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan-Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun. And we are back, Kirk, Maddie. It is time for one more thing. Um, I'm going to go first because mine is really quick. I've been watching with my wife the TV show Fargo on Kirk's recommendation. It is awesome. I love it. It's really, really good. We finished the first three seasons. We're up to season four. Um, It is just a tremendous show, and and I think everybody out there should watch it. It's just, I mean, obviously it's a mystery, dark mystery comedy sort of thing. Not even a mystery. It's more of a dark comedy, like crime show. And every season so far, like starts with some like inciting event that's like a murder of some sort or a cover up of some sort. And the rest of the season is all about that and the, the repercussions of it on whatever given time period. Every season is a different story, by the way, totally different story. Um, so they're all like these short stories and um, just incredible casts, different casts every season that are just awesome. Carrie Coon from The Leftovers is in season three and she's amazing. So um, and yeah, everybody should go watch it. It's on Hulu. Go go watch it if you haven't. It's funny to think back. I've been enjoying your text as you watch this show, which I dearly love. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you think of season four because I haven't seen that yet and have sort of heard mixed things. But it's funny to think back of when it like when it first came out, because the idea of adapting this beloved Coen Brothers masterpiece into a TV show, like it was Noah Hawley. He's he's great. He also made um, uh, Legion and a lot of other things. Very talented guy. This is the showrunner. And they got big stars like Billy Bob Thornton is in season one, and he's you know, amazing. It's like, he's great, and it, but it's it was not a sure thing. And going into that show, I remember I think it was Alan Sepinwall, a TV critic that everyone probably knows and that I like. He was like, 
all about it. He's like, no, this show is great. And so uh-huh. I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's really good. And I still remember watching it and being like, how are they doing this? Like, this feels like the movie Fargo. It has all the same elements, but it's just remixed. And then each season does the same thing. Some civilian who gets in over their head, committing crime, and things spiral into this violent, you know, catastrophe. A cop mm-hmm. who's, like, doing their best, like, this odd, like, reevaluation of what family values are, like, what American values are. And then season three, man. Oh, my God. All right, anyways, whatever. It's your one more thing. I won't yeah. go off. But <laughs> really I love good. this show. I love it. Kirk, why don't you just jump into yours, and then we'll let Maddie have, yeah. uh, have time to give hers, because... It is very exciting. It's the only thing we all care about. Okay, go <laughs> it is, ahead. It's true. Well, mine is another is another show. It's a new show that I bet some listeners have maybe heard about but haven't seen. And it's the Netflix, uh, the French Netflix show Lupin, which is mm. um, really good. Um, I've watched three episodes or so, and uh, this is a wonderful show. It stars Omar Sy as not um, Arsène Lupin the Third, who is the famous French gentleman thief. Uh, sort of early 20th century literary figure who's then, of course, been adapted into a very famous anime. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of listeners probably know Miyazaki's Castle of Cagliostro. That was that movie, actually, fun fact, was like one of my introductions to anime. I had this one friend, Brian, really cool dude, um, who was, I feel like you either had the friend who showed you all the cool anime and like comics and stuff, or like you didn't, and he was that for me. And he totally showed me like that and like Vampire Hunter D, Akira. He was the guy who showed me Akira. Cowboy so Bebop, that, probably. That I friend. Know. You know, I think, I don't know if we watched Cowboy Bebop together, but he was the one who showed me the stuff that made me watch Cowboy Bebop when I saw it. I was sure. like, oh, yes, this I can jam with this. Um, so Lupin is really, really, really cool. Um, I don't want to say too much about it because it's actually really fun if you go in not knowing what to expect. Like, I knew it was going to be, like, capers and heists and stuff, which it is, and it does not... If you if you like watching people pull off heists, this is a great show. Um, it, I recommend watching in French. It's, there's a dub, but just whatever. It's, like, dark. Just watch it in the original language. Um, it's fun to watch people speak French anyways, French rules. And uh, uh, it's just cool to hear them with their actual voices. Omar Sy is great, the star of the show. And it's just... It's a really, really great show um, that takes the idea of an adaptation and does something really cool with it like he's not um lupin like he it's it's telling the story like lupin exists in the world of the show so you'll learn all about lupin as well and about french culture and like history and stuff and it's it's just it's great fun and uh, i really really like it i do like heist oh I yeah you, you yeah. would both like it it's to- it's so good like it's, so it's one season it's on netflix it's one season right First season is out. It's like a it's like a different kind of season structure because it's not like I think because it's like they do things differently in other countries. So it's like book one or chapter one something like, and it's Got like it. five episodes. So it's not that long. We're three in, and I can definitely recommend it. It's super good. Bing Kirk here from the future. We finished watching Lupin the night after I recorded this. I just wanted to update my impressions to say that the last two episodes do get a little bit goofy. Kind of requires a little bit more suspension of disbelief than the first three, though I still really like the show overall. But I would have mentioned that on the episode if I had a chance, and I have a chance because I'm editing it. Okay, back to one more thing. Bing. Awesome. All right, Maddie, give it to us. What's your one yeah. more thing? What you got? My one more thing is a video game called Dark Souls that came oh. out in 2011. <laughs> no one's ever played it before. I'm no. the first one. And yeah. Congrats. You discovered it. It's a cool it. game. It's an undiscovered gem that I've been checking out <laughs> on Steam. Got it on sale. Yeah. So long-time listeners from the split-screen era will remember that I tried to play Bloodborne on this show and that I had never played a FromSoft game before. I did not beat Bloodborne. I did not care for Bloodborne, 
Bloodborne is a game that involves a lot of rolling around on the ground. <laughs> and I don't I would... like that in a game as it that's happens. Funny. I don't You care haven't for seen it. me play Dark Souls. I do a lot of well, rolling around. Yeah, that's how I not the way I play too. it. So I'm playing Dark Souls as a knight character. Mm-hmm. So I'm blocking and I'm uh, kicking. Ah, yes, yes. And that's it, baby. I am not rolling at all. And I am loving it. I'm nice. loving it. <laughs> and I, this is the first time I have played. I Okay, so I played a little bit of Dark Souls and I played a little bit of Dark Souls 2 years ago. I can barely remember it. I remember not liking them. I don't think I played them correctly because these are games that you can actually play wrong, which I'll get into in a second because there's <laughs> so many different ways you can play Dark Souls and you can play it wrong, but you can also just not like it. So I played this this go round with two friends. I streamed it to them on Discord and these mm. friends had already played Dark Souls before mm. and they walked me through it and that was so much more fun than any other way I've mm-hmm. ever played a FromSoft game, first of all. It ruled. But I also think that I just like the way that Dark Souls is designed better because it's more, the way I'm playing it is more based on reacting to things and it's a little more fighting gamey like having something based entirely around blocking and just thinking about your opponent in that type of way makes so much more sense to me than whatever bloodborne is that i <laughs> i can just, you tell people how far you got just for context yeah, yeah, how far yeah. you are? so i have gotten past the taurus demon which is the second boss of the game there is a tutorial boss the asylum demon who kind of counts um most people describe the Taurus demon as like the first big choke point because you have mm-hmm. to fight the same skeletons over and over and over again right. in order to get to <laughs> yeah. him, and then you have to be. Unless you're him. Jason Schreier and you get him to glitch and fall off of the off of the. I wall. didn't do that. <laughs> I had to actually beat him in the real way, and then I got past him and got. Well, to it's an accident. It's not like you I, I know. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, and I got to the 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 bridge with the dragon on it, and then I went down and kicked the ladder so that I'm back at my bonfire again, and that's that's where I am now. So I I can nice. I've opened up more of the world. I've met. That sun guy, I don't remember what his name is, but he's fun and cool and everyone mm-hmm. likes him. That guy's cool. So I've been thinking a lot about the way that people talk about Dark Souls and how much it has irritated me up to this point, <laughs> even though I understand that it is very well-intentioned. And the way that people talk about Dark Souls is often by saying things like, it's not actually difficult. The game tells you everything you need to know. And it's just that it plays very differently from other games. And that's all true. Like it, it isn't a game. It's not a hack and slash, even though it looks like a hack and slash game. It's not a Skyrim. It's, it's a very slow, deliberate form of combat. You, the stamina bar means you have to be really patient. You have to constantly be thinking about how many attacks you can do in a given second and whether you even have enough stamina to move out of the way. And pausing and going slowly is so much more a part of combat in Dark Souls than any other game that isn't a FromSoft game, that it feels really weird and often bad to most people. And that is something that can seem difficult but isn't necessarily it's more just changing the way that you think but I also think that the game is just hard for certain people like I also just think it's hard and I that I mainly think that because (laughs) I remember how hard I thought Bloodborne was and how I played it for much longer than I've played Dark Souls in total and I never got past the first boss in Bloodborne whereas with Dark Souls I felt like after a couple hours I kind of 
got it in a certain way. Like I wasn't good yet, but I got what I was supposed to be doing. And then it was just a matter of training myself how to do the thing over and over. And I don't know if that's difficulty or if it's just a brain thing. Like I'm like, this game makes sense to me. So I have a thought about this, and I will say that we may in the future have an episode in which we're going to get <laughs> this a little teaser for people and get a little more in depth on this. But I think one thing that I have seen is of, among people, especially who prefer the Dark Souls branch of the FromSoft tree to the Bloodborne branch, of which I would say Sekiro is then a uh, branch off, is that Sekiro and Dark Souls, bo- or sorry, Sekiro and Bloodborne both kind of shunt you into a certain way of playing. There's some variety in builds and weapon types, but they're both very aggressive games and they like push you to play this way. Like Bloodborne has the whole health regen thing. Like it's a, yes. and like you, you don't block with shields in that game at all. Where in Souls you can have real builds like you're finding mm-hmm. cuz you can play a Souls game dual wielding up yeah. like total dex build with like lots of stamina where if you get hit you take a ton of damage but you don't get hit and you're dodging and you're not blocking at all like mm-hmm. there are people you'll see people who do those naked runs and stuff where they have no shield and they just don't get hit it's just it allows you to do so many different things that you can find your own fun with the game your own way of playing and i think that does make the game more welcoming in a way just because there's so many different ways to play it Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Ma- Maddie, I, I want to ask you, did you have a moment when you kicked down the ladder and you reali- and you got to the bonfire and you realized that you were at the same bonfire you had been at before? Like, Ugh. did you have a moment that was like, holy crap, like this is all interlocking? Because yeah. I remember that moment being awesome and like being the moment that's like, holy shit, this level design is on like a whole new plane. I mean, Dark Souls still is like beyond all the other From games. I for mean, that. I love that. I feel like I also had a lot of moments, uh, classic Dark Souls moments of finding the game very funny like there is this moment where I was like can I break boxes and then I was like oh cool I can break boxes and then like the next room that I ended up in is the one where the skeleton leaps out of the box and scares you and it's very like the skeletons can also break boxes like Mm -hmm. you can break boxes so can the skeletons and like I think I think in that moment you also have to break the boxes to like get to a chest or something like it it forces you to do each thing as you learn Mm -hmm. each piece of information and that stuff is good level design but I don't know. I'm just also very sympathetic to people who don't like this kind of game at all because I feel like I was that person. And now that I found one that I kind of like, I'm, I'm still, there's a shadow part of me that still (laughs) hates it at the same time. And is like, this is kind of dumb though. Like, like there were some moments where I would be like fighting the same skeletons over and over and then I would die for a stupid reason. And I'd be like, I know this is the point of the game. Like the point (laughs) of the game is that I just died for a stupid reason. Like I just didn't quite back up far enough at the right time. And I thought I did. And like, now I have to fight 16 skeletons again. And like, Death is meaningless, and that's Dark Souls. It can be and, grueling, yeah. But but it's also like stupid. You know what I mean? Like it's like stupid that I spent yeah, hours I've of had my those life moments, fighting the definitely. same skeletons over and over. Like why did I? Why? Yeah, why? I've had those moments where I quit games for that very reason, and that's why I bounced off Bloodborne in the first place because I was like, why am I wasting my time with it? Yeah. But like with every game, and I think you might have hit that moment, but with every one of these from games, there's that one point that you just hit, and you're like oh man, I'm in the groove. I love this game. With Bloodborne, yes. it actually happens for most people after like the third boss or so. Yeah, maybe so you hadn't quite gotten so there. That's so far away. Oh it yeah, is. no, with yeah. with Sekiro, it's like it's like you don't get there until the Genichiro fight, which is like a third of the way through the game. With a lot of these games, it like takes a while. before. So it's really a commitment to get into these games. Um, but yeah, we'll talk 
more about the broader soul stuff. It's hard to resist yes. that conversation. But down the road, in in a few weeks, we have a we have a, an episode. It is, it is. So yeah. There's a million things I want to say, but I'll save it. I'll save <laughs> well, it. I'm gonna keep playing it. I'm gonna see nice. if I yeah. beat it. I would like to. I'm really enjoying it. Oh, more than I thought I would. Now that I've gotten past a point where I feel like I get it, so I'll mm-hmm. probably talk about it more in the coming weeks, and we'll see if I still like it. Nice. Cool. Very yeah. exciting. Awesome. All right. Uh, I think that is it for this week's episode. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we had enough patches and updates over the course of the episode to redeem <laughs> ourselves from our rocky launch <laughs> at the beginning. Um, Kirk, Maddie, see you both next week. All right. See you both next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.